Heidi, where are you in your hot attic? Uh, it's uh, Well, we live in an apartment attached to our cousin's house, so it's my cousin's attic. It's his gaming room. <laughs> so he has, like, three computer screens. Oh, oh is it like yeah. that? Is oh, it are like... you in one of those, like, cool racer gamer chairs? Uh, I don't know. It looks like he got a new one back here. <laughs> so I'm in the old one. Uh, okay. Are the screens wrap around? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's sick. Yeah. Where are y'all at? Where do you live? Uh, Woodstock, Connecticut. It's the northeast corner. It's like closest, the closest corner of Connecticut to Boston. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, it's so good to meet you. You too. I, I'm, I like the idea of like an old man. You like you, we're old and like, you know, our grandchildren are like coming to receive wisdom from us and we're just like rocking in a gaming chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They do look comfortable. I'm thinking about buying one. I'm not a gamer, like a computer gamer, but I'm thinking about just buying one to sit in it on my front porch. Yeah, you do yeah. sit on your ass a lot. I need one Doing for my it. sewing. Cause I, yes. Yeah. yeah. Doing a little valor stealing, huh? Yeah. That's right. Um, well, welcome to the show this week, um, the week of August 19th or 20th, I guess. Um Joining us this week, we have our good buddy Katie from uh, the great state of Connecticut, uh, all the way from the quiet corner, they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, Katie, how are you doing? Doing okay. You know, we have power back, so I can't complain about anything anymore. Oh my yeah, God. So- Did you have a power outage? It was uh. like five or six days. Yeah. It was, Girl. Yeah. It was a rain-free hurricane. It was just a windstorm that knocked everything out. Yeah. I've heard about these inland hurricanes. Say more about these. Well, I don't think this was technically an inland hurricane. They have a this coast was in a re- This was a regular hurricane. There oh, just yeah, that's was- right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Y'all have some water up there. <laughs> no, Tom I think I- Iowa the was the, Iowa was the, what is it, a direct, derecce, derecce, something like that? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. yeah. They've and- had those in West Virginia. Yeah. Wild Ooh. times. Well, I'm so sorry. I'm so glad you're back on. I was out for five days in the spring, and I've not recovered. Mentally, it's like honestly, uh, honestly, I feel like I have like the trauma from it. <laughs> you do. I, I assure you, you do. Yeah. It fucked me all the way up. Yeah, yeah. Trying to like wash your hands, you know, with no water and stuff like in that. In a fucking pandemic. Yeah, yeah. With a one-year-old, so that was see. Fun. That's Holy that's God. interesting. Y'all lost water with the electricity. I've never lost water with electricity. Well, we, we're not yeah. on city water. We're or I don't know how your water works, but we have well water, so you need a pump oh. working. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Same. They had to pump our water up and we would have water for like an hour after le- anytime the electric goes out, we have water for like an right. hour. Even if it yeah. flickers off, they have to come up here and reset the pump. Right. It's yeah. like uh, infrastructure in this country <laughs> is it's, it's all great, you need to yeah. know about us. It's just really. hanging on by a thread. Know. It's hanging on by a uh, Truly thread. a thread. Yeah. It's yeah. basically this entire country is a rotting bridge, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh did y'all see like how in California they've They've had like rolling blackouts for the last two weeks or so. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, it's not like it's hot there or anything. So. Yeah, <laughs> and they're having a like even worse than normal drought. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we haven't had rain yeah. in months. I don't know if we're technically in a drought yet, based on like what we have in the reservoir. But um, I literally don't remember rain like oh when we last had rain. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Well, it's yeah. all it does here is rain. I feel like. Yeah. yeah, well, we are in a rainforest, so it's, <laughs> it really has been raining like six days straight. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
Yeah. Speaking of, I found a massive um, rhinoceros beetle. I don't know oh, if you guys is that the decapitated one? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. We have rhinoceros beetles here. I don't know if you guys knew this. That's its head. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's a, it is a huge beetle. Look how big this thing is, Tanya. I mean, fills up your butt, you'd know what it was, Tanya. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I important. have stink bugs that size in my house. Yeah. I saw a praying mantis this morning in the parking lot of, of Walmart, and there was a lady. I was pushing Noah in the stroller into the store, and this lady was like, there's a praying mantis right here. And, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And she's literally telling every single person, she's standing there, <laughs> waving people over to look at it. And I was like, that's hey. Terrence. That is Terrence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except it's with, uh, what is it? Some kind of mold. He's always looking for some special mold. Slime or some mold. Slime mold. He's standing around an inch of slime molds yelling. Oh, I found some in North Carolina the, a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, inordinately freaked out like happy about it and everybody was like what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with this guy is this like when a I, rare mold or what it's not that rare it's just very interesting it's uh oh it's it's like um remember that power rangers movie there the villain was like ivan ooze you know no, you guys ever watched that, that. <laughs> i remember ivan ooze i wasn't allowed to watch power rangers i don't think I remember wow. Alex Mack. She would turn into ooze. Oh yeah, Alex Mack is in Mad Men. The actor that play, the actress that played her. Did y'all know that? Oh, yeah. what character? She, she plays Ken Cosgrove's wife. Oh, huh? Isn't that weird? Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> it, isn't that weird? An actress <laughs> continuing to work. <laughs> well, I'll just, I just before we get too far from the praying mantis, I think that they are a very good omen, and you're you're probably got sunny days ahead after seeing that praying mantis. They scare the shit out of me, so I don't know. They're like my worst nightmare. It's they're freaky. Tight. Them and they look like animals and, or something. You know, like they're too big. And they have like <laughs> facial features, you know, that always scares yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. It's praying mantis. I, it's like I feel like really lucky to see and stick bugs. When's the last time any of y'all oh. saw a stick bug? When I was a kid, I think. Yeah, yeah when I was yeah. a kid. I think they're uh, damn near extinct. Who knows? I've not seen one in years. Well, that's it. Like you can drive now. It, that's like, what they you want you to think. <laughs> you remember <laughs> driving as over. a kid? You drive when you drive as a kid. You'd always get bugs on the windshield. Like, How early were you driving? How early were you driving? <laughs> well, not <Yeah>. me. <laughs> I wasn't literally driving. You missed the good old days when you were out smashing stick bugs on your windshield, right. fast and furious. Yeah, that's right. That's what you're going to be talking about in your uh, rocking gamer chair. We still have a lot of yeah. bugs. They're just like the worst ones, like ticks and and uh, mosquitoes. Well. Speaking of um, ticks, I want to know everybody's exact position on chronic Lyme. Let's do <laughs> this, motherfuckers. Not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This. <laughs> Katie is actually the only person that lives in a, a Lyme region. So <laughs> I, I literally live in the Lyme region, Lyme, Connecticut. Yeah. Lyme Connecticut came from Lyme Connecticut. Yeah. That's right. I don't know. Andrew had, Andrew had Lyme when he was younger, so... Uh, that's my well, only real knowledge. Tom and I talked about it on the episode last week, and I I didn't think about it, but, like, we had had plans to talk about the whole chronic Lyme thing, like, a few weeks ago. 
we sat down, we recorded 30 minutes of it, and then we were like, this isn't going to work. And so then we just scratched. We never put that out? We never put it out. And so yeah, after I feel like that. I'm an asshole I, now. <laughs> yeah, like. And so I, you know, I smoked a lot of weed and just kind of, it like, I literally had the Mandela effect where I was like, ah, oh, we talked about it on an episode. Everybody knows the nuanced take on it or whatever. And then we just went in on it last week without any kind of, like, pretext or. <laughs> and the DMs were indeed open. And people were not happy about it. <laughs> rightfully listen, so. Listen, I'll, what do I'll you mean say rightfully this. so. If you're facing a vexing health problem, you probably don't want two assholes talking out of their ass about it. So I will say, okay, I apologize. The only point I want to make is that, like, what we're saying is that, yes, I think you can have long-standing effects of chronic Lyme, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you still have an active infection. That's what I'm uh, saying. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't give a fuck. I will, I will go as hard on this oh, as I God. can. I do not Here we care. go. Katie, buckle up. Wow. Well, I was trying to be the diplomat. <laughs> Tom was trying to be the diplomat. I feel like, like I feel like I know a lot of old men that have had Lyme like fifteen times, and now they're just like doing in terrible shape. So that's what? Yeah, around here. Well, yeah, like yeah, my grandfather had. He was like in really bad shape towards the end, but he also had like so many other health problems. So I don't know if it was just that, but he had had it like what? ten times, you know, throughout his life. Wait, all from ticks? Yeah, I mean, because he was a carpenter, and, like, you know, I know That's a lot of farmers way. and stuff. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I don't know so, if you, you get it, like, multiple times if it's worse. Yeah. Yeah. And, Tom, you were saying that our ticks around here aren't known for Lyme disease? No, they don't care. We don't have... We have Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, but we don't have Lyme ticks. What is that? Oh. Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever is nothing to fuck with either. That's terrible. <laughs> it's not good. Well, if you think you have it, just go get a Reiki treat, energy treatment. Are you? Because that, I, 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 <laughs> I, I feel like I've texted Terrence that I think I have Lyme, but it's just I'm old and I have some creaky joints. <laughs> True. But yes, Terrence is right. If you do have those problems, go visit the wife of Dr. Mehmet Oz, TV's favorite doctor. She does Reiki treatments that cures Lyme. I... I personally think Reiki is bullshit, but as a treatment for chronic Lyme, I think it's A+. It's the best treatment for it. Anything to keep people off of doing antibiotics for 10 years. Yeah. Is that the treatment for Lyme disease? No. No, this is the, <laughs> That's no it shouldn't be, but this is the thing about chronic Lyme. People who think they have chronic Lyme demand from their doctor that they be put on antibiotic regimens for years. What? Oh, God. Yeah, that's, that's so scary. Well, it's also why that uh, you can't really cat around anymore as a single man because we're down to only two antibiotics to treat gonorrhea. (laughs) So the chronic Lyme community is fucking up my social activities. That's right. Sweet love of God. Okay. All right. So anyways, I wanted to get that out the way and say I'm not sorry. Uh, People were (laughs) expecting an apology probably. Well, for the record, Tom did apologize. So we're (laughs) 50-50 and I don't have to because I wasn't here for it. I stand by that. I'm a sweet boy. Katie and I are innocent. Yeah, yeah. I'm sympathetic, so, you know, mm. people love No, me. I'm sympathetic. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sympathetic to having an illness you don't know what it is. Yeah. But uh, is it chronic Lyme? <laughs> it's probably just like fibromyalgia or something. They just need to smoke I mean, weed. 
Yeah, smoke weed. There yeah. you go. This man, this is coming from a man who suffers from chronic tight ass. Uh, yeah, chronic tight ass. <laughs> I suffer from a chronic condition, so I get to say this. I've earned my right in the identity field to say this. <laughs> That's true. I mean, my man should got extra time on his SATs for that tight ass. <laughs> He should got a goddamn left-handed chair for that tight ass. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, now that we've painted a uh, a portrait of America that is um, a landscape filled with rolling blackouts, ticks everywhere, uh, diseases that you don't know what they are, where they come from, or how to treat them, let's move on to... Um, the topic du jour um i'm speaking of course about the post office uh katie we had we wanted to have you on um because uh you're a former postal worker i used to work at a ups store so i'm kind of a postal worker when you really think about it man when you really think about it um i used to sell postal services anyways (laughs) um so that there's there's a lot of things to talk about here. I mean, it kind of feels like in the last couple of days the Trump administration has kind of walked back their original sort of aggressive stance on all this. But um, you know, maybe it would behoove us to kind of go back and provide a little bit of a timeline for why everybody is freaked out about the post office right now. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and okay. and it like a timeline would be great because I mean we were frantically buying stamps months ago. <laughs> were you and s- s- storing them up, or were you trying to support the post office? Both, I guess. I don't know. I mean, no. I mean, people were demanding that we support the post office by buying stamps months right. ago. Right. Right. This has been a a summer. Yeah, it was because it was uh, DeJoy was appointed in June, so that would have been okay. May. Oh, was it May? Oh, okay. Yeah. No, you're you're both right. It was it started off with a low rumble back in April. So what happened was COVID, um, you know, essentially like every other business made post office business go down. So I believe they actually even declared bankruptcy. Or they they went to Congress with the request for a bailout. Um, they got ten billion dollars under the CARES Act bailout or whatever, which sounds like a lot, but apparently, you know, as opposed to like the airline industry, which serves a fraction of the uh, you know amount of citizens that the postal service does, I think the airline industry got like sixty billion dollars or something like that, or like American Airlines did or something like that. Um, and, and so they, the, in the postmaster general at the time requested $89 billion, but they got $10 billion and Trump famously was like, we're not going to bail them out, folks. We're not bailing out the post office. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> which I can't tell. Royal Diamond Cruise is sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. We'll bail out the cruise industries in the airline industry but not the post office um 
So that's why I think when it first started and people were thinking like, oh, this isn't good. There's an election coming up, like, and we're not going to bail at the post office. People are going to want to mail in their ballots. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, so, but then fast forward to May, a month later, and that's when, uh, what's his name? Lewis. Lewis. Lewis DeJoy was appointed postmaster general. Um, he... Uh, Apparently, he's a big funder of Trump. He gave him almost half a million dollars in 2016. Oh, fuck. I miss that. Um, yeah, he has his own logistics company called New Breed Logistics. Um, it provided logistics services to Verizon, Disney, and Boeing. Um, his wife, Aldana Wass... <laughs> His wife has a, a Thomas Pynchon character's name, Aldana Was. <laughs> <laughs> she is ambassador to Canada, apparently, and she was ambassador to Estonia under Bush. Um, but together, he and his together he and his wife claim a total of seventy-five million eight hundred and fifteen thousand dollars in assets from USPS Postal Service competitors. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, one thing I love about this country is, like, we always put the people in charge of the agencies they're trying to destroy. <laughs> right. Yep. No, I mean, literally, like DeVos, like... Rick uh, Perry. <laughs> Rick Perry. Um, I mean, you name it, at this point in time, every agency has at the head of it somebody who's invested in its destruction. Who is hostile to it. <laughs> Um, so, so there's a few things to unpack here. So, like, this is the context for it. And if you wanted to go even further back, you could. You could go back to 2006 when Congress voted to require the post office to start prefunding its retirement accounts for 75 years. Like, no private business in this country has anything remotely close to that. It's, it was an absurd requirement. But I think the 2006 law made it even more impossible for the... I mean, prior to that, the Postal Service was actually turning a profit. But I don't think they turn a profit anymore, right? That's why everybody was buying stamps. Right. Right. Well, and there's. A, I got a little intel on why they're not turning a profit anymore, if anybody wants to hear. What's the intel? Uh, I've been waiting to flex this a little bit because I did my homework for once. <laughs> <laughs> 2006, Congress took a vote on a number of things involving the post office, one of which is that they required the USPS to pay out the pension system 75 years in advance, which is completely ridiculous and unheard of. I just what? said that. Huh? He just said that. I don't, I'm, I'm, get, I'm tacking on to another. Okay, oh. all right. Yeah. Still on my thunder, man. Anyway. He knew it independently, Terrence. Yeah. I knew it before you said it. Anyway, I guess, right, that, like, what their debt is is almost to the dollar what it would have cost to pay the pension system out. Mm. Okay. Like, what, I mean, what they're in hock now. Right. So, anyway. so, basically, they are not turning a profit at all, is what you're saying. Or basically, they would be doing. They would be solvent if that had not been right. The case. Correct. Got it. Okay. 
Okay. Well, and then if you wanted to go back even further, um, and Katie, you might be better to talk about this than I, I am, but in 1970, the postal post office was reorganized, and that's when it was, like, semi-privatized. Is right. that right? Correct, yeah. Right after the, um, the 1970s strike, as part of the... Um, the resulting agreement of that strike was that it wouldn't it would no longer be a federal department with a with the leadership as a cabinet position in the administration uh, which is so that's what it used to be and then with the Re- reorganization act it um uh it became semi-private so under the jurisdiction of legislation and like control like some of um like prices always have to be um approved by congress and things like that but right the funding is as though it's a corp uh, independent corporation right yeah um so yeah so basically what the post office is facing right now is like two simultaneous crises one of which is political and the fact that it's being hobbled to the extent that it can no can't remain viable you know it, it's not turning a profit and so it's intentionally being kneecapped it feels like um and there's probably a lot of different reasons for that um i mean i, I mean to me the op- most obvious reason is that there's other competitors that want in on their market i mean and and correct me if i'm wrong isn't amazon doesn't amazon contract with the postal service yeah all the major shipping companies do but amazon's the biggest one um and so they like a huge portion of their budget is through their contract with Amazon. So that's so you know even they're not solvent but even what they do make is hanging on by a thread which is you know Amazon could pull out of that at any moment and that would cripple the post office. So their competitors are vying for this Amazon contract. No. I think that, or Basically, the USPS is sort of beholden to Amazon. Yes, yeah. To keep so, it solvent. Right, exactly. Well, and yeah, so I think a big issue here is um, for rural areas, right? Because the Postal Service guarantees that it'll deliver anywhere in the United States. Um, whereas, like, a corporation like Amazon is like, well, if it's not profitable, you know, go fuck yourself. Right. Or UPS or whoever. DHL doesn't dare show its head around these parts. No. <laughs> FedEx won't even come to my house. <laughs> FedEx won't? Mm-mm. They drop my shit off at my neighbor's house. FedEx They're- is very... <laughs> oh, go ahead. In, in fairness, you live up a narrow gravel road uh, at a 45 degree me. clock. Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> Letcher County fucking trash truck gets its ass up here. Yeah, they've been driving a little bit longer than the FedEx man who comes about, you know, once a month. <laughs> well, that's one thing that the post office does is they do that last mile delivery. So, like, if FedEx wouldn't go to your house, they would just pay the postal service to deliver it that last. I see. Yeah. That last section. Well. They, they got the chains on the tires. Right. Part of, um, I think another reason why the postal service is like being kneecapped by conservatives or especially at this time in 2006 is that compared to all these other private um, logistics providers the pay and the benefits are better as far as i understand yeah far Um, better yeah yeah i mean some some like ups workers are unionized as like lot there's like teamsters and stuff like that but um but 
I mean, pay with the postal service is incredibly good. It's a living wage, even as <clears throat> even at the entry level. So, you know, this is pretty fast. I don't know if this is still the case, but when I was working for quote unquote UPS, um, FedEx, what I what I found out is that FedEx drivers aren't unionized because a FedEx driver sets up its own route, basically like a franchisee. So basically. Um, you have your own route, and you're like the franchise owner of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it basically keeps you alienated from all the other delivery drivers. Does no shit. Sense? Yeah. Isn't that fucking crazy? Which so means like, I can probably bid that out. Yeah, probably. If I got a job with FedEx, then I would pick my territory, and that would be my territory. Yeah, 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 you piss on everything everywhere you go. <laughs> you just go, you, yeah, you piss on every doorstep in a four-mile radius. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it seems like there's a few things going on there. Yeah, the the wage and the benefits thing, and then also the competition <laughs> thing. Um, and and then uh, but then like there's another sort of crisis that the postal service is been facing which is covid obviously right. and this is a big reason why there's been all these um mail delays and other complications with getting things delivered in the past couple months um and so that's kind of the situation that um lewis DeJoy walked into um do you have a number so th- on how many um postal workers are out like either for quarantine or because they're actually sick so I read uh, the most recent thing I saw was uh, I think three or four thousand postal workers had COVID, and then like another five or six thousand were quarantined from it. Wow! Um, so like they are they are extremely at risk for COVID. Yeah, obviously. I mean they they handle oh this God. stuff that everybody else does. Um, and so I think that that's been a a big thing, um, but. So I think that the reason this kind of elevated to like a fever pitch, though, in the last week or so was because the election is uh, just around the corner. Um, But also there's been a few instances in other states where they've been doing mail-in ballots, and it's just been a total disaster. Um, So I'm trying to like... I lost you, Terrence. Look at this article. Well, Kentucky Um, was a big disaster too oh, but hold on. we can't we can't blame it on the postal service <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can't say anything about that at all actually you're not allowed to mention that that's worse than the dolly hive the bashir hive is almost just as bad yeah we got a lot of sick tickets in this state yeah. msnbc just did a story just ran a story about uh the kentucky how bad the kentucky mail-in ballot situation was because okay. they tossed out thousands okay. over signatures wait wait i lost you guys for like that whole thing i don't know what happened oh sorry um can you hear us no kidding it was nothing important i can assure you okay <laughs> um, nothing i say is you're going in and out worth repeating we're back talking about the rhinoceros beetles all you missed yeah okay i think right. i think we're good okay it, it might help if i might turn off my camera for a little bit just to open up the bandwidth if you know what i'm saying if you catch my drift gotcha um so i was reading this article in uh pro publica i don't know if you guys read that publication (laughs) 
That's um, uh, journalism in the public interest. That's right. Um, and uh, they were kind of going down the list of all these recent elections where all oh, these ballots were missing. There's one in Ohio where 317 ballots were missing. There's one in, I think it was Wisconsin or Michigan where like a thousand ballots were missing or something like that. Like, this is already sort of setting itself up to be a, a pretty big disaster. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps the realization of that is what sent the libs into freakout mode in the last week. And then it was accompanied with all these photos on Twitter of, like, post office boxes being removed and hauled away and some of them being chained up. Um, Post boxes being shot in an alley, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Vigilante justice, what it sounds like. It's Mass like, graves of post offices, bo- post office boxes. Blue box on blue box crime. <laughs> My man Rex Chapman took some heat over sharing a fake photo this week. I saw that he did. Man, um, let Rex be. I mean, who among us hasn't posted something bullshit? Um, the fake photo in question was, I believe, a bunch of mailboxes chained up. And somebody said, you know, there's actually slots on the other side. Of the you can just drop them in. You just walk around. Uh, just walk around. And you just walk around in. the other side. Yeah. Well, the funny part was he just said, "This is what fascism looks like." <laughs> he really, he really hammed it up. You know, hey, I've done it. I've done it. Go shave yeah. in it, Rex. Um. So, so I think that was, uh, you know, that that. It's kind of created this atmosphere where you're not really sure what's real and what's not real. Um, you know, it, and in this situation, it's like, are they trying to steal an election? Are, are they doing it successfully? Are they doing it poorly? Like, I don't know. What's going on? And so, I don't know. I think that maybe we sh- uh, maybe I can open up the floor here a little bit and, and see what you guys think about this because... Um, I, I don't know. It's like, like I said, it, it it is something that we should be outraged about. But at the same time, it's it's been going on for a while, just like every other bad thing in America. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's but, like it's like liberals really have only started caring as soon as it seemed like a partisan issue. When it you know there's yeah. ongoing actual you know like a labor crisis and a funding crisis that they helped cause. But as soon as there's a partisan effect, you know, it's for someone on Twitter was saying like you know libs only like freak out about how much they love something like right as they're causing it to go away you know yeah Um, and telling their response to it too was like to try to like bake sell their way out of it that's how somebody described it on Twitter (laughs) bake sell their way out everybody go buy a roll of stamps this weekend you know what I mean right it's just like did you know uh, the USPS has merch you can get a t-shirt. We love a fucking hoodie. Yeah, Forever 21 had a USPS line. <laughs> That's for real. <laughs> that is insanity. That USPS got no kickback from, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure not. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Let's let's mail a bunch of more letters and clock up the postal service and that will really that will really help. Yeah, right. right. Isn't that just really a attack on workers for just like, oh, this uh this this already crumbling government infrastructure that's put thousands of people uh, in the face of death. 
for bills yeah. and shit yeah. to arrive to our home. Oh my gosh. I mean, and I, I think part of why they just get to this hysterical level and then you don't know what's real or not because they they never actually knew how the postal service worked. So they're they're simultaneously learning how the post office actually works as they're freaking out about it not working. So, you know, <laughs> mundane things about the postal service become like, you know, like retiring an old machine, you know, which is sometimes part of procedure. You know, every now they're freaking out about it without the context of sometimes that does happen. But, you know, at the same time, yeah. they are decommissioning way too many of them. So, but there's like no nuance because it's just they they're just yeah. learning how it works. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have any libs freaking the fuck out when they were shutting down. Just there was a massive shutdown maybe six or seven years ago of rural post offices. Yeah. They shut down my post office at that time. Um, in Ermine. Oh, Ermine. I had an Ermine box back in the day. Well, I mean. So that kind of gets at an interesting thing here, which is the sort of like lib idea that if you go buy a bunch of stamps or like Tom said, bake sale your way out of it, that you can save it. And it seems to miss the point that the issue here isn't that it's insolvent. It is insolvent, but buying a bunch of stamps isn't going to change that. Like making it profitable isn't going to change that because it is being intentionally politically kneecapped and and so again it kind of feels like one of those things where um the libs kind of latch onto the surface features the surface level features of the thing without interrogating what's actually happening behind the scenes that make it that way um and so in that environment uh everything becomes conspiratorial Right, and so it's like you were saying, Katie. Like they see these machines being re- retired or whatever, which happens in the the, the postal world. <laughs> that that other dimension that we don't know about the postal world. I'm glad um, we're getting a peek behind the curtain with Katie today. That's right. But <laughs> um, but but yeah, but but you know, it's kind of like the Russia thing or anything else, really. Like if it fits your specific sort of conspiratorial outlook then it is immediately caused for hysteria and and all this i mean it is a serious thing that we should be talking about like yeah. if they're gonna steal the election or not but i think kind of like what i'm starting to think and i, and I don't know i'd be interested to hear what you guys think about this but i think what i'm kind of starting to think is that like even if the postal service was operating just fine the results of this election in November are not going to be accepted by a lot of people. Like, I don't know. There's two things. I, I, one is that I don't even know if the results are going to be legitimate. Like, I was just telling you about all these lost ballots in these other states where they've done this. Um, but then the second thing is that people aren't going to accept whether it's legitimate or not. It just... Every time I start reading anything about it, I start immediately getting anxiety because I was like, everything feels like such a mess and I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if it, if it is a, if there is a large percentage of mail-in ballots, no matter what, one party is going to claim that there's some kind of miscount. So even if everything is working perfectly smoothly, no matter what the result, I, I totally agree that that's what I've been, that's what I've been expecting to happen. Right. 
Because there's well, no, like, public trust in mail-in ballots, um, or very little, I think. Um, or it's at least, like, spun by politicians that it's unreliable, you know, and that it's, like, kind of a myth. But I don't know about the, the missing ballots that you're referring to. I didn't read I didn't read specifically about that, but historically, it's extremely... Um, absentee ballots are extremely reliable in terms of... Um, like no fraud or basically or they right. they find and and prosecute every instance of fraud yeah i think what it is is the reason that they've been having problems with all these absentee ballots and everything is yeah for the same reason that everything is kind of hobbled and just ba- barely tied together which is covid and you know you've got people having to cover other shifts i mean like i mean you know you worked for the post office it's uh pretty grueling work and yeah you, do it you know yeah i mean i i don't know like even without a bunch of people out from covid i mean there was already like a staff shortage in the postal service like partially intentionally and and so i can't imagine what like the work level is right now um so yeah i guess i guess that does make sense that there would be more missing stuff but they have to like cobble together like finishing routes anyway on a on a in a good year you know so it's got to be a disaster in there. I don't know. I, I would not want to be working there right now. Right. Well, it's, it is another feature of this weird thing where um, it's like the libs want to talk about, uh, you know, thank your postal postal service worker. You know, hug your postal service worker. <laughs> Suck off your postal service worker. Give uh, your postal service worker COVID. They're, <laughs> they're drawing their postal worker as Superman and Wonder Woman. <laughs> they love doing that shit. Um, but but they're not. I think you made this point on Twitter the other day, Katie. Like they're doing that, but they're doing again. They're doing the classic lib thing where it's like they're not actually. They don't care about the actual working conditions. If they cared, they wouldn't have fucking. Uh, you know what went along with the 2006 bill or whatever that. Uh, has caused a lot of these problems. Yeah. I saw a really weird take the other day. I'm like t- a take. It was like a New York Times article. <laughs> um, and they were saying, um, like, uh, they were trying to quell people's, like, anxiety and paranoia about people's ballots not getting delivered. And they were saying, um, they deliver, you know, five times as much mail during Christmas. So, you know, you can have faith in the postal service that it'll it'll get this done. It's like, but the thing is, they hire entire fleets of extra staff during Christmas time. That's like one thing, and, and now we're down postal workers. So, I don't really know what their point was with that. It's like, actually, it could be a huge disaster because there's not even close to the number of staff as there is during Christmas time, and Christmas completely runs on overtime, which they're cutting, and it runs on multiple trips out, which they decided that they can't do anymore and so you know so it's it's not really comparable because the entire postal service is almost reorganized for christmas um right and you know i i'm not sure it doesn't i don't have a lot of faith that they're completely reorganizing it for the election obviously it's the opposite (laughs) that's happening so they well they are they are reorganizing for the election but not to make it efficient yeah yeah well it does present a very um I don't know. It, it does present some sort of sort of questions and things. It's like, what are the libs going to do if? Because like, <clears throat> I think one of the reasons why they're scared about this is that 
a lot of these mail-in ballots are going to take a couple weeks. I mean, with the shortages, staff shortages, and with changing routes and all these other changes, um, they're going to take a few weeks to get in and be counted. And so I think it's like six weeks between Election Day and when the Electoral College actually announces the winner of the election. And so I think what they're worried about is if all of those mail-in ballots will be in before December 15th or whatever that day is that they announce the winner. And I think that the picture that's emerging for me, and especially after watching the DNC, or I didn't really watch it, I kind of, you know, just checked in and out over the last two days. Um, I think the picture that kind of emerges is that Trump is going to use, you know, who knows what's going to happen if he's going to win or lose, win by landslide, lose by landslide or whatever. But I feel like Trump is going to sort of make it as he's going to they're going to muddy the waters as much as possible to um, to make it look like, oh, the whole thing is illegitimate. I won. And so, you know, again, like watching the DNC the last couple of days, it's like, are the liberals going to do anything about that? Like, are do they even have the ability? And if they did, what would they even do? Like, it feels to me like they're like they just don't really even give a shit. And I don't, I don't know. I, well, if 2000, if Al Gore is any precedent, then, you know, they're just, they're just, they're afraid to advocate for themselves. You know what I mean? Like, right. the man basically just gave away an election that he almost certainly won. Absolutely right. won, right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, there's precedents for them just punting on these things. So, yeah, I could see, I could see Joe just being like, well, he put in a good fight, and uh, you know, good luck to him. <laughs> well, they have every reason to avoid having to solve a pandemic, because yeah. <laughs> they are as incompetent as anyone, as they well know, um, and they can instead just raise money, claiming that they would do a better job when we all know they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, what'd y'all think about that guy in that goddamn squirrel suit singing "Stop, Children, What's That Sound?" <laughs> Everybody, look what's going down. <laughs> <laughs> a squirrel suit? You know, like, he looks like the guy when... Who was Billy that Porter. profile in Curve? Was, was it Billy Porter? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It was that video, right? Yeah, yeah. Billy's really lost his way. He was great in Pose. <laughs> Billy really showed up for us in Pose, but he's really lost his way. Yeah. I have, like... The DNC has made me... Compl- like, has completely unmoored me from reality. I Every night, the last couple nights when I see what's going on, I, like... I have a, such a hard time, like being grounded in reality because it's so absurd it's beyond absurd i've avoided it completely i've no i've no interest they just have us it's literally 50 percent republicans and you know a handful of war criminals just a big (laughs) big party for them that sounds right yeah yeah i i mean i kind of wanted to talk to you all a little bit about it like because colin powell spoke Yeah, that's that's the one that really got me. That's got me. That one got me. I'll tell you what's a shame, honestly, is that this whole uh, strategy of appointing someone who wants to completely dismantle what they're over, we haven't applied to the military and ISIS and shit. Because this is a, you know, this could be a winning strategy for the left if applied correctly in the right places. But alas, here we are. Yeah. 
Um, well, I mean, so yeah, Colin Powell spoke. Uh, former Secretary of State Colin Powell, um, the the coward of the Bush administration, the guy that they got to go plead the war case to the UN under completely false pretenses, and he didn't have even have the backbone or spine enough to like buck up to them and say like there is no you know you're making me go do this with zero evidence um and so like he gets up there and uh his speech was just totally um like at the dnc his speech was totally without substance it was just basically like i'm an american uh my my grandparents are immigrants like they came to this great country and um, I've had a great career in Vietnam, which, by the way, he helped cover up the My Lai massacre. Uh, he, you know, and then, you know, prosecuted the first Gulf War and then the Iraq War. And, I mean, like, this is, the, this is a guy whose entire career has been marked by war crimes. Um, and so, you know, he gets up there and he's like, the guy in the White House is... Uh, because they won't name him, right? They, they, they can't even bring themselves to say his name. <laughs> They're so dramatic. Yeah, exactly. They're so dramatic. Um, like, by every metric, the Bush administration was more violent, uh, more disruptive, um, you know, more bloodthirsty, you name it, than the Trump administration. But now, because, just because they don't like the gross guy, the mean, nasty guy, he's mean and nasty, <laughs> they are more than willing to befriend the, the Bush people, you know, the, ni- the nice and respectable Republicans. And I, I feel like that was kind of the vibe I got from the DNC, that like, yeah, these, these, we are the nice Republicans, you can vote for us. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm with you, Katie. I, I was comp- I've been completely sort of unmoored from it. And, and I've been asking myself, like, why do leftists think that the Democrats... I mean, is it because, like, they're a little closer to us on the political spectrum? Like, what what was the underlying premise there? Why, why did we even think that that was something we could... Like, why even the Democrats? Like, why not? Yeah. yeah. Why did we think that was something we could, like, take over or influence? It's... I mean, it's I assuming know. it's assuming a lot of um, sincerity on the Democrats' part, which is, I think, way too generous. You know that they actually care about any kind of progressive policy. Um, I mean, I don't want to be too harsh on socialists, but <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. What you it's extremely with. naive. This is all we do so. on this show. I know. Did you did y'all see? And I guess just because I work in this, but did y'all see how that like you know like even Noam Chomsky was saying something like. Uh, well, if we're talking about saving the planet, Joe Biden does have the most progressive, like, environmental platform of any Democratic candidate in history. And then, just like under the cover of darkness, the Democrats took uh, new fossil fuels, just like, just kind of, eh, let's just scrap that out of the pl- out of the platform. No new fossil fuels. And it's like, yeah. this is what like Sierra Club, where I work, this is what they were saying. Like, they were they were making the case to all these people who were raising concerns about like. Joe Biden's sexual assault allegations and all this stuff say, well, he does have the most progressive platform in terms of environment. And it's like, man, y'all fucking bite on anything. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a, it's a very like infantile understanding of our political system that there's a right wing and a left wing and we're more closely aligned to the left wing. 
and that it's all about that it's all about like partisan politics when it's also about business interests and all of the, you know to bring it back to the post office that this yeah. crisis isn't just um you know oh democrats are trying to have a, f- a fair election like it, it you know while they're dismantling the post office through policy you know it's you can't just right. I, I don't understand why you would just assume that they're these good faith like political actors when who have the same like same business interests as republicans i mean we all know this i'm saying very obvious stuff but it's no, I, it's believing in par- in like that partisan politics are on its face something to engage with i don't know no well you're right i think it's like because we thought they were closer to us in terms of politics we thought we could sort of morally reason with them or something or appeal to their sense of morality and uh and so but the unfortunate part about it is that there's no mechanism of sort of like leverage or or of, of actually like um trying to pressure them to uh bend to our will and so at the end of the day it basically just became us being like why won't you let us have this and <laughs> Why would I? Why would I? You know? Yeah. I think, I mean, I think another thing too is, I mean, I think we're seeing it with Kamala is like, I think unfortunately a lot of socialists do let um, liberal identity politics kind of, um, I don't know, kind of influence their perception of the party and, you know, believing that representation matters and stuff like that. And I, th- I do think that it doesn't get everyone, it doesn't like catch everyone in that, in its net, but I do think it catches some people, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, you see how facile, or you see how ultimately just like <clears throat> um, shallow that is if it can catch within it also war criminals. And I mean, like, obviously the Democrats are war criminals. Again, we've all known this, but it, it's, I don't know, it's just this weird, it creates this weird disorienting effect where you're like, um, on one hand, you're like, well, you know, we, we should we are aligned on some things politically but then at the same time you're like oh oh yeah i forgot that these people are <laughs> are actual war criminals it's it's too. the absurd logical end of like the big tent theory you know that like yeah. oh if we align yeah. on something um really really general that we can work through all of our other problems you know but but that you know but then they keep expanding the tent to include republicans <laughs> so well, it seems like that's what they're, I mean, and yeah, I don't know if, Tom, if you watched any of it, but it does seem like that's the strategy that they're going to go with. Like, we all joke about how in the run-up to the 2016 election, they, you know, the famous Chuck Schumer quote about, you know, picking up white suburban wine moms in the suburbs of Philly at the expense of blue-collar workers in Pittsburgh. But it, it and and they did they did go with that in 2016 but now it feels like it's cranked up to 11 um correct me if i'm wrong i don't know i don't know if you guys feel that way or not but it does feel like they are just out and out admitting it like oh we're the nice republicans now you know what i mean like you can vote for us now we don't even have a pretense of progressive yeah it's like they see these guys winning elections and it's like okay that's what we want to be like we're just going to copy what they're doing now right and they're forgetting that like the reason that Republicans win elections is because that like people want to vote for the real thing and not some sort of facsimile like weird uh, tag along that just doesn't really stand for anything. And it's and it's it's just so 
I don't know. It's just so fucking strange that you could just just look at the tea leaves over the past four years and you think that like no let's just double down on what like beat us in 2016 yeah, yeah you know. i just can't help thinking but it's just like the whole democratic strategy is i don't even know another word word for it than like paternalistic it's like they just are uh obsessed with the notion that they know better and that they have a moral high ground yeah um, I just I always think about the debates between Trump and Hillary and how Lil, Hillary would stare into the camera with this face she had obviously practiced um, to look like um, Jim from The Office or something, you yeah. know, just like. <laughs> can you believe like that? Just, yeah. Can right. you believe this guy? Right, right. Uh, yeah. Probably. I mean, you know, like, and Republicans have a militant political program that they're you know trying to enact and that's what gets them in office and this is just revealing that 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 is not the democratic strategy it's to have no like no policy program or platform and just to secure positions for no just to secure positions for the sake of having positions of power not to enact anything in particular yeah, they, it's like they have no interest in making anyone's life better but their own. Right, right. And God forbid they say something that they can't roll back. Yeah. Well, yeah, so who the it, fuck cares if they have if they have war criminals and, you know, Colin Powell and yeah, at their convention? They don't, they don't care, you know? Yeah. If it gets them in office, which it probably won't, you know. We're hearing so much right now about how... Kamala and Biden—they're not great now, but we can move them. We can, we can. It's, this literally never happened in the history of anything. Ever? Just, no. This it, literally no precedent for moving any elected official to the left. And there's it, a lot of precedent for reaction, which is what we're seeing right now. They're just moving yeah. to the right. So yeah, yeah. running. Yeah. The the, the platform is more to the right than it was seven days ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Seven minutes ago. You're right. Yeah. It's weird because they, they, what they've done is they've put together a coalition, and what they've done is they've hinged like their hopes on combining the sort of millennial as entrepreneurs said who are convinced that they like push Joe to to make Kamala the VP, and they're combining that with like the 2008 like sort of like uh, Obama era like older Democrats that like are kind of like outdated and have been discredited but they think those are the two like factions of the party to put together instead of like you know the Bernie people with that well I mean it could this is something I've been struggling with because as I've tried to interrogate the Bernie thing and where it actually went wrong the entire theory of it was premised on the idea that if you give people the choice of these universal programs in electoral form if you give them the choice to vote for it then they'll vote for it because that's what they need Mm -hmm. and the underlying problem with that there's a lot obviously one of them is the fact that very few of them vote uh you know very few americans vote in general but uh, i think another obvious problem with it is that the democratic electorate is just not there um really i mean some of them are a lot of them probably are but i think in their minds they triangulate that by like they want to vote for who they think is going to win and so i think at the end of the day they thought that bernie's thing would scare the mass 
of the masses of the voting electorate. Um, and so, like, I, what I kind of go back and forth on, I'm like, could the Bernie thing have even worked anyways if given a chance? Like, I don't know. Um, but there's another thing. I <clears throat> Do you guys follow uh, Osita Nueva Nivu? No. Do you know who that is on Twitter? He writes for the New Republic. Um, he's really good. But he had a really good tweet I saw yesterday. Um, he said, I'm not really sure how a country that can't manage keep things closed so people don't get sick and give them money is supposed to enact and implement meaningful climate policy. I <laughs> did I see that. I suppose we better keep yeah. hoping oh, it can't. No, yeah, yeah. no. So I, I think it's an interesting thing to, to sort of examine because essentially even the Bernie platform was based on this idea of these social democratic reforms that would require some sort of uh, you know regenerative impetus like in the American populace like um, Medicare for all, Green New Deal these things that that need mass support and I think that his point is that America is too fractured for that, it's too fragmented like you're you, there's no way you could even get mass support for these things anymore, and our failure to control the virus is a pretty good, pretty good proof and evidence of that. And so, kind of like, I feel like what I've been feeling the last couple of days is kind of more sort of like, well, we we were gonna be fucked even if we were able to elect Bernie as the candidate. Because I don't know if Bernie would have been able to implement any of these things anyways. It doesn't seem like the country's there. It seems like the country just wants to rip itself apart and just go down the tubes. And so I kind of feel like where I've been at the last couple of days is like, the left needs an entirely new approach to how it views uh, America. Like, and especially how it views political change. And I guess if your idea of political change is you know, putting forward these mass programs of universal appeal and then putting them up in the electoral realm as referendum, that might be flawed. I mean, and I, and it, it might not be, though, too. I don't know. I mean, I just feel kind of like the virus and our inability to stop it kind of just hints at the fact that, like, there's no social cohesion anymore. There's no way to implement any of those kind of policies anymore. Now it's just either you're going to get it from the top down or we're all just going to rip each other apart but i've been finding a little bit of peace in that personally <laughs> in the sense that like there's nothing we could have done anyways maybe you know what i mean like maybe this was the only outcome i don't know i mean uh, even into, even think? like aside from him being able to implement things or not what if we had had this mail-in election with bernie as the democratic candidate and a socialist one with a bunch with all like or nearly all mail-in ballots like there would have been even more so than joe biden winning i feel like a reaction that would be really horrible you know um yeah. be, you know even if it was legitimate from an objective standpoint so I, that could have been like catastrophic you know right no i i i mean I, that's the only thing i've been able to tell myself watching the dnc that like we were probably doomed to failure anyways. The support we thought was there wasn't actually there. And really, I've been more, more than anything else, I've been you know, really ruminating on this impulse among the left, especially, 
towards myth-making. And you see this with Dolly and everything else. But just like the the sort of like wholesale, uh, you know, fabrication of things that are not there. And yeah, just and not and it, true. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Kat, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was going to say that too. And, and it's in terms of theory of change, it's like I think... I think some leftists kind of fall into thinking that just because something, just because the working class has a universal interest, um, doesn't mean that every member of the working class understands that interest. And it's our job to make those interests clear. But if you don't do that work, it's not just going to magically become popular. You know, well, Medicare for all is popular, like objectively, but, um, but you know what I'm saying? Like in terms of electing a socialist or, you know, um, implementing other universal policies, obviously lots of Americans act outside of their own interests because it's not like an inherent mental, you know, <laughs> practice. You have to you have to learn about politics and you have to understand what your class standing is and understand what your class interests are. Unless you're born in West Virginia. <laughs> and then you just come out as a coal mining communist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's like not me. I was born perfect with perfect (laughs) political awareness. So, this myth making for me is really just a sign of a of people just at the end of our ropes. Like people are grasping at anything to hang on to right now because we are staring down the barrel of so many overlapping crises. You know, we've talked before about the DNA helix of crises right now. Um, and we're going to see more. We're, like, we're going to see more of people creating fantasy lands to escape to. Um, yeah. And that's really what Dollywood has always been, is a fantasy for hillbillies to escape to um, that like really romanticizes um, you know little kitschy things that they may consider nostalgic um, and you know there's more of the country you know that we we grew up uh, doing that and now more of the country is in desperation (laughs) for uh, fantasy lands Um, yeah even with and the post office stuff, more. like I, all yeah. I'm seeing from like even socialists is like, you know, make make postal workers our army, you know, make like, you know, that they're these like shining beacons of sacrifice and heroism, and you know, the reality is working at the post office is a shitty, hard job, you know, especially now with the way, with the way you know the union is structured and things like that, like lots of little problems adding up, but. It's a really difficult job that you're overworked and you're exploited and abused. And, you know, it's still part of the American federal government to an extent, which is obviously currently a nightmare. Um, You know, and there's there is like an investigative arm of the Postal Service that prosecutes people. You know, it's like this isn't some daydream. You know, they're not like the. They're not communists. They're not, you know, the people's army, postal workers. It's like, it's still a job and it's a company, more or less. So I don't, you know, that myth making is damaging because through this process of of glamorizing the postal service, you're ignoring like serious labor issues that would need to change if we were like through the process of saving the postal service, you would need to enact a lot of different changes for it to actually be saved. And, you know, people are kind of wasting the opportunity to make an actual good service that doesn't exploit people, 
you know, because of this myth, the myth making kind of stuff. But and to that point too, when you start getting into this like sort of thing where you're valorizing certain professions, now Katie, you're sitting with three veterans of the war on coal here. Right. <laughs> now, what happened when we when when we started like valorizing coal mining to the level of like like how we would talk about or some not us but like how certain people would talk about like a, a purple heart wounded veteran or something like that that actually puts the ball more into the reactionaries court i feel like more so than ours and so i just don't think that that's like an effective like you know characterizing uh you know postal workers or whatever industry it is as like wonder woman or spider-man or whatever mm-hmm. is like not a strategy that's going to work for us on the left yeah well, I think that this, uh, you know, and I hate to bring it back here because it's a little trite, but, like, I think it does speak to why it's important to read not just Marx, but any kind of sort of, like, leftist materialist theory because, like, essentially what we're talking about is the fetishization process. We're talking about turning one thing into something else. We do it every day. Um, but I think it's probably, like, you're right, Tanya, it's going to become more um, pronounced, especially as the, you know, quarantine and the pandemic goes on, and we feel less and less like we're able to actually influence anything from politics to culture to anything. And so I think that that's part of the myth-making process. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, uh, that that's... That's all in Marx. That's just, that's right in the first chapter of Capital. The the fetishization process, the turning of one thing into something else, and 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 I think that that's what I'm saying here is that like, I don't know if we have to have like a concrete political program plan for the future. Uh, I think right now you just have to have the right sort of analytical lens and the framing for it, because it doesn't feel like anything's moving anywhere right now. I mean like. We've been, I mean, I saw this tweet yesterday that, that talked about how people, this blew my mind. People have been protesting in Louisville for 85 days for yeah. Breonna Taylor's murder. 85 days. And the fact that, like, the powers that be can just withstand that and just not even respond to it and just mm-hmm. be like, that's nice. Keep doing your thing. That, that tells me that we have to develop some sort of... Uh, new way of applying leverage to them and i don't know what that is i don't know you know obviously nobody's going to have that answer but um it's it's funny the way you even think about it in pop culture like think about how like muhammad ali was talking about like not going to vietnam versus last night i'm watching lebron james in the pregame and he's he's talking about brianna taylor he mentions louisville kentucky by name and it's just not even like the same type of i don't know if it's it's just the difference in the two climates you know what i mean or what it was but it's just there's something missing that gives like gives us teeth i guess you could say i i've been thinking a lot about that i think that like kind of in democracies sort of earlier days they were really freaked out probably for good reason as a result of like the french revolution and everything by like large crowds in protest they were like oh shit we got to actually respond to this and then in the last 30 or 40 years they were like oh wait we don't actually have to respond they just go home at the end of the day (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) it's it's almost like there's like this first wave that comes in and if they can survive it then they know they don't have to do shit that's why it's like the situation we find ourselves in i feel like it's so dangerous because the stock market's going hammer 
all these people are making a fuck ton of money while at the same time half the damn country's out of work literally yeah and in a lot of ways this this um strategy of appointing someone totally incompetent uh to run something like that's what's happening here in kentucky like our attorney general has never been in court the man's never <laughs> he's he's never uh led a trial he's never been in trial nothing um he's just like some you know law da- darling or some shit he honestly looks like he's in the sunken place at this point but um and then like you know who the de- even it, this is not just a republican strategy he's a republican but the dems are running amy mcgrath who has no idea how to do it she's not a politician she's a war criminal they're running her to replace mr mcconnell it's like these are just insane this is insane it's it's no wonder that we are creating you know fantastical places to escape to and honestly i'm not even saying that's a bad strategy because we do have a lot of healing to do like an unimaginable amount of healing at this point um and i don't know how best to do that but maybe it is on one of tom's um dream islands well, no, it's you know it's funny. It's it's just like that. When, I mean, I've referenced this a shit ton of times in the last couple of months. But it's like when we had Hannah Gaze on, we were talking about that that time period at the collapse of the Soviet Union, how they like psychics and like you know like the TV psychics in in the Soviet Union and like fortune telling and like all these sort of like metaphysical things really exploded in popularity because people were looking for something to like retreat into, you know. Girl, yeah. I'm launching my tarot Patreon very soon. Yeah. In Virgo season to ensure its success. No, <laughs> Tanya's no following suit with the, with the Soviets. <laughs> I'm doing my part. Tanya, my birthday's next week. Maybe I should uh... Are you Vir- Are you Virgo? Yeah. Hella fucking Leah. Yeah. Thank God. The Virgo season always uh, attempts to heal the wounds of Leo season every year. <laughs> They're playing cleanup. Yeah, Virgos play cleanup really constantly all year long. I have no idea what well, she's talking about. <laughs> Virgos are very detail-oriented hustlers. Um, I'm detail-oriented, but extremely lazy. <laughs> well, that could be your rising sign. I don't know what that oh. is. But... <laughs> well, if I could just uh, put a bow on this and we can start wrapping it up. I, I just want to just by way of my own experience, what I've been experiencing in the last couple of days, um, at the risk of sounding like uh, too earnest on one hand, but also maybe too irony poison detached on the other hand, I'm trying to like thread the needle here. Um, because on one hand, I do feel completely demoralized and like there's nothing we can do. Like, I don't know how many times I found myself saying that in the last couple of days or weeks. Like, we're fucked. Things are just, you know going down the drain there's nothing we can do um but then on the other hand when you say that people are like don't don't despair organize don't mourn organize like that kind of shit which makes me cringe so it must be cringe if it makes you cringe um but if there's i don't know i mean if there's any sort of like uh, middle path there <clears throat> i guess it's um you don't have to be doing something at all times i don't i mean like i don't know maybe people would disagree with that like maybe you should be joining an organization or something like that but i think even more fundamentally important than that it's uh like i said it's it's 
uh, Tanya would probably disagree, but I would say read. You know, try to understand what's uh, happening right now. And the only reason I say that is because there could be future situations where we might be able to influence something. There are contingencies and, and opportunities for political contestation that we might be able to influence. I'm not uh, totally anti-reading. <laughs> I support well, a smut read here and there. Yeah, okay. No, you're right, sense. you're right, Terrence. And also another thing I'd say is like despair is a totally fine thing to feel so long as you just don't habitually stay there. But like when people like try to like like strong arm you into adopting this stiff upper lip and all this kind of shit, like you're no better than like the rising grinders or like even the fascists, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, if there if there's anything to focus on, it I mean it really is healing. Like we, uh, I, I mean this is a whole other episode. I, I'm worried to even say it, but like a lot of our organizing structures are not well and are falling apart because we ourselves <laughs> need so much healing that we're not even able to create <laughs> like organizing situations right now that are liberatory. So we just there's this. A lot to unpack. Yeah. We need to heal. We have healing to do. Yeah, I and I do feel like um, there, you know, through labor, there there are things happening. I, you know, the teachers unions are working really hard to try to organize around not uh, around doing remote learning instead of in person. Um, some of them more successful than others, but um, you know, and the postal unions are, you know, are they're pretty lame, honestly, politically, but. Um, they are attempting some kind of action that would have some a little bit of influence, but anything that is happening in labor, it still feels like socialists are so sm- like the socialist left is so small and powerless. We are still kind of watching from the sidelines, you know, whatever labor decides to do or not do. Um, I, I don't feel like we have a position of influence over them even remotely. And I don't mean that in a cynical way. I just, just realistically, you know, and so. Yeah, just, it's a fact. Yeah. And so just kind of like exploring that relationship and, and modifying it, I think over time, that's, that's usually my go-to, like, that's the thing to do, but you know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think you're right. And I think the, that connects to the larger point I was trying to make a minute ago, which is that you, you have to be able to study the past and you also have to be able to look at what's going on right now. Um, through the kind of materialist lens so that you know when the opportunities are there to be able to influence them. Um, because if you're not looking for it, if you're not looking for, if you don't know what you're looking for, you won't know how to uh, intervene um, and to influence them. And so it's entirely acceptable to not have any answers right now. <laughs> I mean, uh, things are so complicated and confusing. I mean, and dangerous. And dangerous, yeah. exactly. That it's it's. I think it's entirely reasonable to not have an, any answers, and uh, and so and so. Yeah, if somebody tells you, "Buck up, buddy. Don't despair. Organize." It's like, well, first, maybe there's a step between "Don't despair" and "Organize." <laughs> like, <laughs> like there might be a, a middle step there that we need to think about. Um, so, anyways, I don't know. I, I think that that probably about covers it. Um, is there anything else y'all want to cover uh, as it uh, relates to the post office, to the burning world, and to the DNC? Where was Bernie at during the DNC? What's he up to? Oh, he's he endorsed Biden. 
I mean, I knew that, but is he is does, did he speak at the DNC or anything at the convention? I don't know. Honestly. I believe he. Do they have him? Is he like a doorman or something? <laughs> no, he, no, he gave it. He gave it. He's he has to kneel on. He has to be on his hands and feet for everyone to step on him on the podium. Oh. That's what, that's <laughs> okay. his that's his punishment. He's the step onto stage. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he, um, there was a, there was a moment where he and his wife he was like ribbing his wife, and everybody was like, "See how he treats women." Oh my god! <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah, if you're yeah, not if you're not uh, done no. with the Democratic Party after this, you are truly you have an infant's mind, and you will never <laughs> recover. Seriously. You will never Seriously. grow. Um, no, I, I believe he opened the first night. Um, and I do have to say, you know, I got to give credit where it's due. She's made some mistakes, but, and she is pretty cringe 95% of the time, but AOC actually picking Bernie as the nominee, I think, I think that that was pretty, a pretty good move because it showed that she does fundamentally understand that there is a separate politics at work there, that you have to draw a line of demarcation between you and the liberals. Um... And she got two minutes to speak. She fought for it, and she got two minutes to speak, and that's what she used it for. And so I got to give her props for that. That was the most Terrence, far and away the most popular figure in your party, and you just relegate them to like garbage minutes. Yeah, Terrence. The reason you think AOC is cringe is because you hate fun. You hate to have fun. Uh, so <laughs> I think I think it might be the fact that she does like eight-hour Facebook Live videos of like her drinking a beer, like. Again, you hate fun. <laughs> and I happen to know that those live videos cut you off at an hour, so. <laughs> okay, fine. Fine. No Let's comment. Let's put a bonus. I got to get back to the bargaining table. but Yeah, Tom's got to get back to Good luck, Tom. Mother, we got to get Mother Jones here back to bargaining. <laughs> I have to and fight I like hell for the living. Drinking on Instagram Live. I have to go right. sit quietly in my house because the baby's sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Tiptoe in. Well, thank you, Katie, for um, joining us this week, and we'd love to have you back again soon. Great to meet you. You too, Tanya. All right. Well, we will see you all later. Later. Patreon.com slash Show by the Workers Party. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Go to support us on the Patreon. Patreon. www.patreon.com. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trillbilly Workers Party. Thanks, everybody. We will see you next time. See y'all. I'll send you the audio here, Terry. <laughs>